It's the International Women in Film podcast with your host, Michelle the Trainer. MTT is Michelle the Trainer. Aloha and welcome to the International Women in Film podcast. I'm your host, Michelle the Trainer. Welcome to episode eight, where our very special guest star is Dawn Leigh Climey. She's a costume set supervisor with over 24 years of entertainment industry experience. She graduated from the NAIT Apparel Design Program in Edmonton, Alberta. Dawn began her career in local theater and independent films. In 1992, she was chosen as one of three Canadians to receive a Banff School of Fine Arts scholarship. There, she learned the history of costuming and trained as a seamstress with a specific concentration in the construction of corsets, panniers, and, I hope I said that right, and ladies' dress from the 1800s. She was able to apply her passion and hone her skill set on period films such as Children of the Dust with Sidney Poitier, Black Fox with Christopher Reeve, and the television series Lonesome Dove, oh, I love Lonesome Dove, while working in Alberta, Canada. A chance to work on the feature film The 13th Warrior, first during pre-production in the armor department and later on set supervising the incredible leather, mail, and steel pieces they created. This allowed Dawn to relocate to Vancouver and shift her focus exclusively to film and television. Dawn has built an incredible resume of over 100 film and television projects while in Vancouver, ranging from the intense technical challenges of feature film Tron Legacy the pure comedic joy of the television movie Once Upon a Mattress, starring Carol Burnett with costumes designed by Chris Dunn and special consultant, dig this, Bob Mackey. Down in the dirt fun of the homegrown Canadian Western Forsaken, you can see the photo in the blog, produced by and starring Kiefer Sutherland, and costumes were designed by Chris Hargidon. <laughs> And the incredible scope and vision of the award-winning television series Once Upon a Time with the Emmy Award-winning designer Eduardo Castro. Though Dawn loves working at home, she loves to travel and work on location. Each set brings a whole new set of wonderful challenges, from language and logistics to choosing the best street foods in Manila. The honor of working with Emmy and BAFTA Academy Award and Costume Designers Guild Award-winning Costume Designers on the films Chronicles of Riddick, Miami Vice, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, Fifty Shades of Grey, The Born Legacy, has allowed Dawn to work in locations as diverse as the Dominican Republic, the Eastern U.S. Seaboard, Prague, the Philippines, Dubai, Paraguay, the ice glaciers of Canaan, Ascus, Alberta, and of course, back to beautiful Vancouver. In 2013, Dawn started her blog, Don't Shoot the Customer, which I really enjoy, in hopes of sharing her love of costuming and some of the tricks of the trade that she's picked up over her career. We talk about this in the interview. She wants to guide new customers and share information with those already ensconced in the trenches, and it's a way for her to put into action one of her firmest beliefs that empowering education, sharing, and passion in any industry creates excellence, especially in that community. So I hope you enjoy the interview as much as I enjoyed talking to Dawn, and have a wonderful day. Aloha, and welcome to the International Women in Film Podcast. Today's very special guest star is Dawn Climey. Hi, Dawn. Hi, how you doing? Hey. And she is a costume set 
supervisor. She lives in Vancouver, Canada. She's worked throughout the world. How did you get started with all of this? I guess it was kind of crazy. My father was um, vice president in charge of productions at a small television station when I was growing up in Edmonton, Alberta. And I spent a lot of my time on film sets and the back of news and just being able to run around a movie and movie sets and different areas in the television production. So I think I always kind of was there and I always knew I would be here. I thought at one point that I might go into design and fashion, but that was very short lived and I realized it wasn't something that I was that willing to put that much effort into, I guess, or had that much desire to put that kind of work into. It is a hell of a job. But you do have sewing education and special costumes doing education and I do yes I went uh, I went to school and I took all of my tailoring and design and everything because that was the area I was focusing for originally and when I realized that it wasn't going to be quite what I thought it was originally I went and specialized in at Banff Theatre of Fine Arts and took the history of costuming and did costume construction through the stages it was pretty pretty amazing environment to go to and be able to basically grow up in learning the rules. I was one of the youngest people to be ever accepted into uh, Banff Theatre Fine Arts for their scholarship program. So I was able to have an early start, earlier than most others. That's awesome. And a costume set supervisor. I love how this is a job of many hats and it encompasses a lot of different things. I think if I, if I ever do a film, I'll definitely want you there because you are taking care of everything it sounds like from the actors and actresses to the entire crew and everything can we talk about what it all entails yeah costume set supervisor is a canadian position it's a title that sort of only goes in canada it does cross over into other areas by different title but maybe not quite as full as what we do for me i'm responsible for breaking down the script, breaking down all the scenes to make sure that I know uh, how many pieces we're probably going to need in order to get through the scenes, say a fight sequence or, or an underwater sequence, and working with our coordinators and our designers to get all the looks that they want. And then I have large talks with the designer to create, to, to help maintain the creation that she creates, she or he creates. They they're getting the entire look together. They're the ones that do the overall look of the show that make sure that they have the vision of what the directors and everybody wants. And for me, I just have to ask questions like, what kind of tie knot do you like? Which is, you know, per character could be a very important question. You know, what, how they want the clothing to sit, how they see this character. Do they, are they messy characters? Are they very clean characters? Should they be dirty or wrinkled or clean? And then, I take that on and make sure I maintain the look of the character that they're creating for the whole show. As well as, I also have the costume department crew on set to run, and we can have anywhere from five people up to 50 people. We have multiple units in multiple um, areas, depending on the shooting crew, the off-camera crew, the maintenance crew, and we have to make sure that all the people are healthy and happy. We work very, very long hours, and part of my responsibilities is making sure that each individual is getting what they need in order to be able to complete the day. We're all going to be there 14 to 18 hours, but if we can spell one another off and keep our days going so that we're not all just exhausted by the end of the week and, you know, limiting car accidents and anything that can be done through exhaustion 
is part of my responsibility. And weather, right? Weather in the production and weather that you're actually shooting in. I found that fascinating that that's also, I mean, that's obviously a huge factor in your day to day. Absolutely. We have, um, you're getting, when you're getting cast dressed, you're still responsible for them. It's not just the making sure that the shirt is tucked in. You have to make sure that the actor is comfortable and that they're, you know, dry if they need to be dry or wet if they need to be wet. They also have to be that way for hours and hours. So you have to underlayer their clothes or have warm-up jackets or umbrellas or heating blankets to make sure that they're able to keep doing their job all day long in the clothing that has been required for them. If you're doing a scene with a woman in a bikini in December, you're going to need to try to find a kid to keep her warm between takes. That's interesting. And then, so what if we have the guy who's hanging off the cliff and somebody's pulling on his pants? It's your responsibility to make sure that if there's eight takes, there's eight pairs of pants? If they, if they have to come <laughs> off, yes, there should be that many. Or I make sure that I have enough crew that we're repairing them between takes. And then are those pants not really Gore-Tex? Are they of some super secret material that actually allows them to get pulled on for eight days? Um, depends on what we're doing. If we know that if it's a gag that needs to be done, we've usually rigged it so that we have, it could be the right kind of fabric, but maybe we've just hand stitched the seams in so that they're really light and tear away. Or we've put, you know, buttons that will fall off. Or we, we know we've put it in a situation that it's going to make it an easier scene for what actually has to be done at that moment. So that we just have to re-rig them again. At the top of Ghost Protocol, once uh, Tom Cruise is trapped underneath the Kremlin and he's running through the hallways, he has to rip off all sorts of pieces on his outfit to turn them inside oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just watched that. So that's Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. I think it's the fourth Mission Impossible film, just so you guys know. So you can watch it like I did and just be blown away by really watching it from a costume perspective. Yeah, he takes off his hat, he takes off his thing, and then he has the cool reversible jacket. That's all you? Yeah, so we've weighted down the sleeves so that when he actually drops it, he can hold it a certain way so that the jacket will turn inside out very easily. We've stitched, we hand-stitched for every take back on this leg stripe so that he can rip them off very easily. All the pieces are put in a way so that they can be quickly removed in order to give the speed of the scene. Those are all costume pieces, and we have to collect them all, put them all back on, and get them redressed for every single take. Yeah, because he makes it seem like nothing, and he's walking away from the building, and he's doing that whole identity change, and he makes it look so effortless, but there's obviously a lot of effort that goes in behind the scenes, of course. So this also was the movie that you blew my mind because you we were talking about you hanging off this the world's tallest building in Dubai. It is the currently the world's tallest building anywhere, I believe. Okay, and then tell me about the gloves. So the gloves, they're actually a prop item, but one of the one of the gloves during one of the sequences, of course, we know the batteries are supposed to slowly go down, but unfortunately the batteries decided to go down a little faster than they were supposed to. So the props person and I were we had to have five-point harnesses on, and we were actually uh, picked to the roof of the building, the roof of the floor we were on. And because of the position Tom was in, we both had to lean out the window to uh. our waists in order to get the glove off and get the glove on. But it took two of sounds really silly, but it took two of us because I had to hold the fingers to make sure the wind didn't pull the gloves away so that it could be pulled on. In, uh, so there, it just took three of us. It was a lot of work, which something should have been very simple. That is amazing. And yeah, just looking at those scenes and you can see where they shot from the helicopter so you can see how epic it is from the top of the building. It's amazing. I, I encourage everybody to rewatch it. And when you see the gloves hit the glass, you're just going to freak out. You also did Tron, which I think is, again, these are all very diverse projects and all very interesting. Tron, 
was I remember the set of Tron. It was so cool. And so this is what it looked like LED lighting in, in the fabric. It's actually more than LED lighting. At the time, Tron was uh, using a specialty fabric, a specialty lighting system that had been just developed, I believe, by NASA. So it was a brand new system that and we've never used. this is Tron Legacy. This yes. This is the 20 years after the original Tron. That's correct. Okay. Um, it's The characters are wearing... Uh, three layers. So they're wearing a base layer, which is a compression layer, and then they're wearing an entire layer system that has um, a lighting grid system stretched into. And then when we get the we get the entire suit on that has this wire system into it, then we have to lay all the lights on top of it. But due to learning, because it's a learning curve when you have a brand new thing that's never been used, we had to learn a lot about how the wires would move with the body movements. And it was a challenge on overheating so quickly with our suits of the lights going in and out and of the wires breaking and us having to rewire the cast on set. So as to where what a usually electric would have to do, the costume department was taking on. And what about, was it like Christmas lights where if one light goes out, the whole suit goes out? Or Quite often get one light, but when they overheated, they would start to blink like a Vegas, a Vegas nightlight. <laughs> we would always say, oh, the cast have gone Vegas. Oh no. And then you had a backup suit for each for each actor or do you had to actually just get in there and, and intervene? We had multiple suits for each actor, but it took up took roughly half an hour to forty five minutes to get them completely dressed due to the lights and the systems. And to get them un when we got them undressed, they'd have to sit for a little while because every time you wear compression, your body will swell slightly. Yeah, up. is that like Spanx, but for the it's, whole body? <laughs> it basically is. <laughs> so cool. it would take us, sometimes it would take us an hour and a half to turn a costume around. So if we were able to rewire the systems without taking the costume off, we would jump or we would jump from one cable light to another cable light to keep them on. Wow. And then you have to keep them cool. Where were you for that? We were in Vancouver, but it was summertime in Vancouver. So so it was very hot. Oh, and I, like, I like Stanley Park in the summer. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yes. It is. It's very beautiful. <laughs> we weren't in Stanley Park. Though. Oh, okay. That's that's unfortunate. <laughs> All right. So it's talking about weather. Miami Vice, I read this whole article that somebody wrote that at that time you were saying that it was the most challenging. And you were actually there for this is the Miami Vice movie during Hurricane Katrina, which yes. is like crazy. Okay. So tell yeah. me everything. We did. So we went to, to start. We started shooting. Miami Vice in July and we shot until the end until mid-November end of November somewhere like that uh -huh. and it was uh, you know something coming from Vancouver we don't have hurricanes we <laughs> might get the tail end of uh, you know a bad rainstorm but we don't get hurricanes it was a very new experience yeah Vancouver's like perfect <laughs> it really is <laughs> the weather is a lot easier when we got there the one of the first we had I think we had two or three tropical storms and then we had Katrina wow and as you know Katrina did not hit um Miami nearly as bad, of course, as then it did um, New Orleans and that area. It was awful. Such a but tragedy. it was, you know, you stop shooting and everybody gets time to go home. And for me, it was very funny because here, I mean, you know when a storm's coming because it's raining. There, it would be completely clear and totally fine. And everybody's, okay, time to wrap because the storm is coming. I just couldn't figure it out. So it took a few, but I realized the system and they have it down pat there. They know what they're doing. Wow. Uh, we did stop for the actual storm to go through and... And then we started up, but it's, it's a challenging, you know, effort when you're getting up and most people are, I mean, just horrific that all those people that were out of their houses and out of their homes and, and we're just being, we're going to work. And then you know, how did that affect you shipping and, and, and crating? And, and it sounds like there was a lot of logistic drama going on with you packing and unpacking and, and where did all that take place in Miami? 
Well, we we actually traveled. We went from Miami to the Dominican, from oh. the Dominican to Uruguay, <laughs> and Uruguay to Paraguay, and then back to Miami, and then back to Uruguay. Wow! So we had a fair amount of travel on that show, and we. We missed um, Wilma, which came after Katrina, but hit Miami very badly. Yes. And we missed that while we were in the Dominican. But when we went back to back to Miami, working through that was quite something because, you know, there's nothing left. The houses, there's no hotels. You're having to move a hotel every single night because the people that live there, their houses have been destroyed are now in the hotels. Wow. So beyond the actual shooting, which was normal because we have big generators and things that we can do, it was all the extra parts of life that the normal parts that are definitely in chaos. Yeah. Wow. And then (laughs) once upon the mattress is such an interesting, I was reading about its history. So this was written as a stage play, right? Yes. Once upon a mattress is the story of the princess and the pea. Okay. And what is that story? The princess and the pea is about queen that has an only son and she wants the perfect princess to marry her son. And she says that a true princess is so delicate that she would feel a pea up under 20 mattresses and only the most flawless princess would be allowed to marry her prince. So it's basically an overpowering mother taking care of her son. <laughs> and Carol Burnett plays this mother? Yes, Carol Burnett, when she when she started getting into, in the beginning, she actually played the princess and the pea, one of the original plays that she did. And it ran for a very long time. And, and, you know, Carol's getting older, although albeit phenomenal in every way. She decided that she wanted where she played the queen this time. She's so, so it sort funny. of bookended her career in a way. I mean, she's still acting, yes, but it was, a, it was a full performance for her. So it was quite brilliant. And it was Tom Smothers was on that production as well? Tom Smothers was on it. He played our king and he played. Now, when I was a child, Tommy Smothers, of course, was the yo-yo king. I remember that. And we, I can remember going to the gymnasium and all getting our yo-yos and we watched, you know, TV at the gym. Our Duncan yo-yos, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he played (laughs) the king in it. And because the king is silent, he did all of his, um, all of his talking was through his yo-yo. Wow. So that was a big, those were big reasons for me to take the show. The cast was phenomenal and it was all memories of my childhood opposed to people now sadly don't even know who these people are and they are brilliant yes they are brilliant and they're still working and they're still producing amazing content so in the once upon the mattress this also gave you so the the costume set supervisor gets hired by the costume designer yes right and the costume designer was well, we had two. Bob Mackey did all of Carol's costumes. That the is famous amazing. Bob Mackey. The and famous Chris Bob Carver- Mackey. Bob Mackey yes. did all of Cher's costumes. That's she when did. I got introduced to Bob Mackey. Yes. And he's, uh, you know, to be able to say that I got to spend, he, he only flew in for one day to hand over the costumes. But I got to walk with Bob Mackey and his assistant, and Bob Mackey walked me through every costume himself. Wow. That was a pretty, a pretty special day. Dawn has an amazing resume. In addition to all of these small stories that we're sharing with you, there are other epic stories that we'll have her back on the show to talk about it some other time. Dawn has a blog called Don't Shoot the Costumer, which is really amazing. You want to talk about that, Dawn? About five years ago, I thought I would start sharing a blog. One of the things that I do find in our industry is people are extremely secretive 
and they're afraid of losing their job to a new person because this industry is definitely it definitely leans towards younger people older costumers I'm one of them definitely want to always make sure that we have our jobs you know we don't want to lose it to someone who's newer and younger and runs faster understood (laughs) I also think that I don't want to have to put a lot of people through what I went through in order to learn what I did. So I decided to start writing a blog to share some of the knowledge. There isn't a, there is schools and they're going to show you how to use your walkie and, and how to break down scripts and how to do all this stuff. But they're not going to talk to you about how to save your money and how to uh, apply fire gel and how to put blood onto things. I've decided to start sharing that way. I I teach a class in costuming film blood for the Capilano University, which is here in Vancouver. I I teach once a year with their film students there, their costume film students. That's amazing. Scary. I mean, if you're using something you've never used before, and you know that it could potentially ruin the garment that you're doing, you don't want to do it wrong, so people get very nervous. But if you got an ability to be able to use it beforehand so that you're, the fear goes away, then that makes you a better costumer. doesn't mean that I'm teaching you how to do it the right way or the wrong way. I'm just teaching you how not to, you know, what's going to wreck it. Competent, confident, and, and quicker because things move fast. You Absolutely. Know? So I decided I'd take what I, the questions that the kids have been giving me at the schools and I would try to start answering them in my way. It's not the only way. It's not, you know, there isn't one way there is a lot of ways, but that's the way that I've been doing it, and I'm sharing it with new generation. Well, and that's the thing with talent. Everybody, like you were sharing with me, what you bring to you, if you want to share with the audience, what do you pack in your suitcase um, in case, because that, that blew my mind that you might be hanging out of that building in Dubai, right? So you were saying that you bring, you know, a, a hard hat and a climbing harness, and what else did you tell me? Hip waders and, um, hip waders and a life vest. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, you're ready, right? You're ready. And then there's, you know, there's always talent and intuition involved with anything like this where you're managing things that are actually active and moving and you've got a team of actual human beings to deal with. And the costumes, I'm sure, are very expensive, yeah? Oh, definitely. Some of them, you know, shoes can be $5,000 a pair. And that's just the shoes. (laughs) So, So you're involved also with budgeting and letting them know how many pairs you may need what if they get blood on them what if they get mud on them what if I mean you have to account for all of that right I definitely have to I'm not so much involved in the budgeting but I am I do break down the script to say I think I'm going to need this and then I'll sit down with the people and they'll be like we don't have the money for that so then we have to go well what do we need to do but I do need to know how many we have and what we can get and how much money we have to get it so that I know what I have to do to make it work. Yeah, we talked about that before because if something goes wrong and everything's stopped on a costume, everything stops and then everybody's staring at the costume team. So yes. no, nobody wants, nobody ever wants to be that team or that bottleneck on in any project, really. Absolutely. You don't want to be the reason why camera's not rolling. <laughs> oh, yeah, because each, remember, they're paying for everybody to be out there. You could be in Hurricane Katrina. It's, it's all so interesting. So now you're working on the man in the high castle. Can you tell us anything or is it a super secret? No, the first... Uh... A season came out in November. Uh, it's an Amazon Prime cable series. It was released, I think it was all released like November 12th or something like that. It is a Philip K. Dick novel that was written in 1962, I believe. And it's basically what would have happened if at the Second World War, Nazis in Germany, Nazis and Japanese won the war. So 
at this point in the story, the Nazi occupation is from the East Coast up to the Rocky Mountain line of the states. And the Japanese are occupying the West Coast up to the Rocky Mountain line. So San Francisco, California, everything is Japanese occupation. And New York and Washington is all Nazi occupation. Wow. So all of the atrocities that happened during, of course, that time period are currently happening in the United States. There is, of course, you know, it's worldwide domination, but we don't tell the stories on, um, on bigger fields. We basically stay within the United States border. And it really, the, the casting is phenomenal. The designer that I'm working with is named Audrey Fisher, and she's beyond brilliant. And the costumes are stunning. It's all 1960s, but it's 1960s in a slightly alternate universe because it hasn't gone through the 50s and the post-war years and the poodle skirts and all that. Like, it's, it's a land under occupied, under occupied uh, territory. So it's a very different world. That's cool. It's it's very interesting. Anytime you get to do a period piece or a piece with specialty costumes, it's it's a very interesting job. Oh, I know you did Lonesome Dove. <laughs> I did. I did the second I season of Lonesome Dove. Dove. Really? <laughs> yes. I did a number of westerns actually. How much actual dust is involved? <laughs> there is a lot of dust. Although there was a lot of dust in Ghost Protocol. There was a lot of there was a lot of paper snowstorms in uh in uh, all of the big dust storm was all done by uh crumpled cardboard. We were covered in it. That's cool. So what about Birth of the Dragon? Birth of the Dragon is a Bruce Lee picture that I'm doing right now. And uh we have some phenomenal Bruce uh characters that the, the See, we don't think of Bruce Lee as actually having a costume. We think of him as being shirtless with those three little cuts on his shoulder, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I have a lot of those posters up in my uh, wardrobe trailer right now. For Enter the Dragon, right? Yeah. It's we have some amazing characters. I mean, it's a story. It's not necessarily we. You know, there's parts of it that, of course, are based off of true life, but a lot of it is is as a fictional story that they're doing just to fill it out a little further. But the characters that they've brought in, um, Philip Ning, which is doing Bruce Lee himself, he is, uh, I think he has 38 action pictures in China. He's phenomenal. I mean, just watching him do the fight sequences is amazing. And all of the, all of the characters that they've brought in, they've, they've really gathered together some amazing, amazing people to make this a really wonderful picture. And that's in Vancouver? Currently, we're shooting it in Vancouver. We were nice. we just came back from a week in San Francisco, though. Oh. Yeah, so we were in San Francisco for one the first week of January, shooting down there for eight days. Yeah, just so you guys know, this is Martin Luther King week when we're recording this. It's um, January 19th, because we I don't know when we're going to release these episodes. So just so you guys have some time, time relativity. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Dawn, I really want to thank you for your time. We're going to stay on your projects and development. And we're going to read your blog and ask lots of questions about sewing and costumes and weather. And hopefully you don't have to hang off of any giant buildings. I'm such a sea level girl that just still blows me away. I really encourage everybody to watch Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol and Take a look at that building and look at those gloves flying around. And the wind is just epic and amazing. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time. And we hope to hear more from you soon. My pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Don. Find us at michellethetrainer.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-E, the T-R-A-I-N-E-R.com. Read Michelle's blog posts at engineeringwellness.com. 
tweet at Michelle Trainer on Twitter. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-E-T-R-A-I-N-E-R. Or email the International Women in Film podcast at IWIF at michellethetrainer.com. <laughs>